Good morning, church. I am so excited to bring the word today. If you're keeping track, this is the second time that Paul and the staff here have trusted me to get on stage, which means I didn't say anything crazy the first time. Uh, if it if it felt crazy the first time, maybe that was a little bit of the Holy Spirit saying, hey. Um, but I, I'm just so excited. And I love the psalm, so it's such a blessing to be able to bring the word and to be able to speak God's wisdom and God's whatever he wants to say uh, about the Psalms to you guys today. So I am really excited about that. You know, when I was in college, uh, I had a professor and we had a Psalms class and I, I enjoyed it. And that's where my love from Psalms or for the Psalms came from. And in this class, we studied uh, how to translate from Hebrew to English and parse and all those things and figure out chiastic patterns and all the things that really don't matter for me. But he came in one day and he looked a little distraught and he said, you know what? I'm going to give you guys all a piece of advice. Never preach out of the Psalms. And I immediately thought, well, that seems crazy that a professor at a theology school is telling me don't preach out of one whole section of the Bible. And so being who I am, I asked why. And he said, because it's so tough. Uh, we don't always have the most information about the Psalms. We don't always have the most background about the Psalms. And so when we preach, it mostly has to be about themes that we pull from other parts of Scripture. And um, I, I told him, I was like, hey, that sounds awful. So I'm not going to preach on Psalms ever. And that was when I was 19. And, uh, you know, last week, Paul walked into my office and said, hey, Abe, we'd like you to preach on the 14th. And I was like, great. What am I preaching on? And he said, you're going to preach on Psalm 145. And immediately I was like, yes, I am. And so this is, it's coming full circle. I told uh, my teacher I wouldn't, and now God's like, guess what? You are. Um, but I, this time we're talking about storytelling and, and what the psalm has to tell us about the importance of storytelling. And as I was looking at this uh, verse in this uh, passage, it made me think of my best friend. And my best friend, I, I love him dearly. The students have heard story after story about him. Sometimes I share things. His name's Woody. And, you know, we get invited to all the places with friends and to go to parties and stuff uh, because people love hearing stories from us. We're good storytellers. And what's interesting is after 17 years of friendship or 15, it, it's hard to keep track at this point, but after this many years of friendship, we have so many stories. And so if I were to tell you stories and I were to be David right now and I were to tell stories of us, it might go something like, let me tell you the story of when Woody and I met or let me tell you the story of when we were messing around at lunch and we accidentally shot a candy into his eye and now he's colorblind. Or let me tell you a story of the time that he was running too fast and lost his step and jumped through the window of a golf cart. Or even worse, let me tell you a story of which we signed up for a swim team as a joke and we made fun of it and we thought it was such a fun thing to do, but they put us in the slowest lane because we just wouldn't do anything. Let me tell you a story about the time that he had troubles at home and he had to move away. Let me tell you about the time that when I was 13, I made a promise that, hey, I'm going to marry you and your wife. And so he came to me when he found his wife and said, will you marry us and keep your promise? Let me tell you about the time that I then went to him and said, hey, Woody, will you marry my wife and I? Or let me tell you about the time that now every time we have vacation, we spend it together. 
You see, storytelling is so important, and we all tell stories. We tell stories because stories are a part of our DNA. They're one of the most powerful ways that leaders use to inspire, lead, and teach. Because it becomes something other than information exchange, it becomes connection. I have a couple quotes for you today and a couple of different passages. And the first quote is, we are all storytellers. We all live in a network of stories. There isn't a stronger connection between people than storytelling. Jimmy Neal Smith, he says this, and, and, and what he's really describing is this idea that is built through scripture, built through who Jesus is, and built in our lives as the church. Storytelling is the main way in which we should communicate about who Jesus is. And this is what made Jesus so impactful, right? Rarely did Jesus exchange through information, but mostly through story and through parables. And we find this in this little area of scripture in Matthew where it has like the seven uh, different little parables that Jesus talks about. And we find this one that is very interesting that draws you in, right? We find it in Matthew four or 13 verses 44. And it says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Something incredible about that story is that it draws you in, that it gives you a piece of who God is but it doesn't give it all away. It entices you to keep coming back for more. And when we look at David and how he is talking, we see that this is the kind of pattern that David is using. David doesn't go into much crazy theology. He doesn't go into saying that some things shouldn't be done by the people of God or should be done. But what he does is he describes God and his goodness back to God. And we find this in Psalm 145. We're jumping all over scripture today, so I'm super excited about that. But as we turn to this one, will you pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you and we ask that you would be with us today. We pray that as the word is read, that it speaks to our hearts, that it shapes us, that it molds us, that it really just speaks to who we are. Father, we pray that it impacts us in ways that we couldn't ever have thought it would. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for the work you do in and through us. In your name we pray. Amen. So we find ourselves today in uh, Psalm 145, and we're in verses 1 through 13. And David is doing this interesting thing, which not many people do, but he is basically just speaking back everything good about God to God, right? And like I said, in some parts of these Psalms, we don't actually know much about it. But what we do know is that this is a song of praise. So that's exciting. He says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day, every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth in fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness 
The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and shall tell your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. You know, David is exalting God in this passage and he is exalting him in a way that is showing the importance of telling the story. And David even references this, that one generation shall tell the next. But there's an important piece that we, that we must understand about storytelling You see, David takes this moment and he talks to God and says all these things about God and how they will be passed on to the next generation. But I think it's important to do one even better than that. I think it's important that we not only tell the generations about God, but we tell the next generations about God in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. That will be more impactful. I feel like that will be a moment in which people will start to get God's goodness. And so I'm going to build a roadmap today for you, congregation, and I'm going to build a roadmap so that we link the Old Testament and the New Testament to show that that doesn't ever change. And that how we praise God and tell the story of God is we have to look at the high moments of God weaving his story and who he is through Israel and then going all the way to the New Testament and how Jesus is working in and through his people. And this takes us all the way back to Deuteronomy. I love Deuteronomy. Uh, Not many people will say that. I love the Old Testament so much. And it's where we find God acting. And we find a verse, verse 10, chapter 8, and it says, And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for all the good land he has given you. Now that doesn't seem like a crazy impactful verse until you know the backstory that God has taken Moses and he's taking the Israelites out of Egypt and pushed them into the desert. And they have traveled and over their course of time in the desert, God has led them by day and night. He has made sure that they would not starve. He has given laws. He has spoken through Moses. He has had signs and miraculous things happen through Moses. And God has been with his people. And as they go into this, God makes the promise that he is going to give them a land. A land filled with milk and honey. And God does it. And we see that as they enter and they eat, Moses is talking to his people and he says, Now bless God. Because this is a high moment for Israel. This is a high moment in which they will be able to tell this story for generations to come. They will be able to tell the story of God's goodness because they lived it for generations to come. And that's a, that's a high moment. So we, we, we have this high moment, this standard by which we tell about God's goodness. But then we now have to go to the lower points where we find in Philippians You know, we just finished off Philippians uh, with our students and we uh, got to talk about it uh, with them and talk about the things that are happening and how Paul is writing to this church in jail. And I got to say, there's probably not a lower point. I mean, Paul has been through some stuff. He's seen the glory of God. He has been dragged out of a city after being almost 
killed or killed and he has uh, been whipped and flogged and he has been chased after and sought after. And while he's in jail, he writes to this church and he writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That passage is important because it tells the story that even in the darkest moments of our lives, we can still rejoice because we can still go to God. We can rejoice because we know that our baseline of joy and who God is in his character, in his personality, in everything that we know about God is steadfast, is steady, is unmoving. Paul writes from a jail cell and says, remember to still rejoice because God is good. He is telling the story to the church that he is writing to that even in the toughest times, you must rejoice. And we see the next generation's need to know God in both. And we got uh, uh, another quote for you that I, I read and it, it impacted me. It impacted me in such a way that I like I had to stop doing sermon prep because I, I it's so important. That we have to tell these two stories of God. We have to tell the story of who God is to the next generation. And Maya Angelou writes this. She says, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. You see, it's important for us to tell the story. And it's important for us to continue to tell this story. But if we leave parts out, there's no greater agony. I'm not into the bait and switch. I'm not going to tell one of my students that, hey, God will always show himself and God will always make things easy because I'm not sure that that's always true. But I do know that God has never left our side. We are usually the ones that stray away. But as we tell these stories, I think it's important to talk about the way that we tell these stories. Not only is it important to tell the story like David is, or to tell the story that David does tell, but it is important to tell the story like David does. And we have a New Testament reference as well, but as we talk about this, we have to understand that it's not only important to tell that story and how we tell that story, but the damage that happens if we don't tell the story correctly. You know, I, I am a millennial. People have talked bad about millennials for as long as I can remember, but I can tell you that we are one of the biggest generations leaving the church. I can tell you that for some reason, the church was unable to grasp the millennial generation. And what I can tell you in the midst of this is that the millennials probably heard only snippets of the story and more than anything, just heard other parts. And those other parts come from this that if we tell the story, or if we don't tell the story of the church, but tell the story of tradition, we've missed it. And we can cause more harm than good. You see, the church is more interested sometimes in telling others what we don't want, what we stand against. But all I hear when I read scripture is Jesus say that I am for you, I am with you, and I love you, and I will never leave you. But for some reason, the church has a tendency to say, 
you need to change your life before you can come here. You need to do this before you're welcome. You need to be different before you're accepted. But that's not what we find in this book. That's not the story of Jesus. That is the story of tradition. That is the story of personal belief. And I think that that's hard to swallow because we are all guilty of this, myself included. We are all guilty of looking at someone and saying, maybe even subtly, well, maybe if you did this differently, you would be more welcome. When we look to scripture and when we look to find a good example of this, we have to look to Peter in the second chapter of Acts. See, in the second chapter of Acts, we have Pentecost and Peter is standing up and he is preaching this story of God. And when I'm done reading it, I'm going to ask you a quick question of what you think is missing in this. And we find it in Acts uh, 2 verses 22 to 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man arrested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the plan of foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of the lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. What's missing? I can tell you what's missing. As Paul or as Peter is writing this and as he is speaking this to people, what is happening is he is not holding on to any tradition of what he thinks either Jew or Gentile should be following, but what he is doing is he is telling the story of who God is to the people that have gathered. He is telling the story that is most important that God came, died, left, will be back. He is telling the story of God incarnate in Jesus. About this love and this, this selfless love of him paying the ultimate price for us. You know, I, I was talking to my wife about this. And I was talking to my wife about sermon and, and my wife is so fun because she is willing to say things, uh, only sometimes. And let me, let me explain what she does is, is she has a lot of wisdom and she is an introvert and she will only speak up when she knows that it needs to be heard. And so as I'm going over my sermon with her, I'm reading parts of this book and I'm, uh, typing parts of my sermon and she says, Abe, I think you missed it. Abe, I, I think you missed a part of what's happening. That it's not only important that we tell the story or how we tell the story, but it's important that we find people to hear the story. And she said that the most important part of storytelling is the people to listen. If you don't have them, you just look like a nut talking to yourself. And I sat there and I, I brushed it off and I laughed, but she is so true in what she is saying. Church, our doors have to widen and we have to be welcoming and bringing people in so that we can tell the story of who God is. So that we can tell the story of God's goodness and so that we can pass it off from generation to generation.
it's interesting. I, I run middle school program, and every week I have kids that are loud. I have kids that sometimes act out. I have kids that sometimes walk in front of the camera even though we're filming. I have kids that do crazy things that will stand on a chair or want to sit on the top of a wall. But we widen the doors of Sunhouse because it's important that we in this generation impart to the next generation God's goodness, his story of love, his story of who he is. Because church, those students in Sunhouse and in any other church are going to be the ones that will lead us and fill these seats. So it's important to tell them who God is in the highest of highs, in the lowest of lows, without grasping so tightly on a traditional way of doing things. It's important to just say, we loose the chains and we say, hey, God loves you and wants you here. And we tell the story of his goodness. Pray with me, church. Father, I love you so much and we are so blessed to have you here. We cannot imagine doing life without you. Father, we praise your name. We pray that you work in and through us, that you meet us this week, that in moments in which you want us to tell the story of who you are, you meet with us. Father, I love you. Amen.